message of Jesus Christ into the school. Uh, people say that Christ is not in the schools anymore. God is not in the schools. As long as Christians are in the schools, God should be in the schools. And so it is. We see that responsibility. It also is sobering because we care for the safety of all that work in those schools and for our children. And we care for the success that the education would be exactly what it needs to be uh, for the best of our children. And so we're mindful of all that and we're prayerful about all that. We realize that there will be some mothers and fathers here that will take some children uh, for the very first time, their own children to school. And that's always something that Definitely needs prayers, probably more for the parents than for the children. There'll be others that will send uh, children, uh, youth off to college for the first time. And probably the parents need as much prayers and uh, you can pray for their checkbook too as you pray for the students. Uh, there's a lot that goes on in transition and it's, it's, it's an important time. It's a volatile time. It's a time of blessing. And we simply want to be aware of that in the life of our church family and the individual families that make that up. And so tonight at the close of this service, all students from, from the preschool students up through the college age students, all students will be invited to come along with the elders to the front and uh, Brother Pat Hackney will lead us in a closing prayer. And that's always a wonderful reminder of the resources that God gives us and one of those most important resources is the life of our children. And we're, we, we are thankful to have this opportunity. I asked some of the classes this morning to fill out just a little short survey to see kind of what's on the mind of our children. Uh, I asked the children on the survey, I said, why are you look, looking forward to going back to school? One young lady said, because I was bored all summer. Shelby Sperry said, I want to learn. Several of the sixth graders said they're looking forward to school starting back because they get their own lockers this year. Uh, another said, I get a nice teacher this year. And another went on to say, I got the teacher I wanted and the friend that I wanted in my class. Another said, I'm going to a new school this year and I'm going to get to know new friends. Asked them what was the best part of the summer. Several mentioned the uh, Strat Camp Stratiotes, our church camp. Others mentioned Washington, D.C., Holiday World, Kings Island, Ohio. Uh, one even mentioned the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, one said the best part of the summer was sleeping in. Another said going to Granny's house. Several said the destination's unknown on Tuesday. One said I enjoyed this summer to have the opportunity to play with my family. And I guess the Fuller family, they played musical bedrooms. It says when we switched our bedrooms. Uh, it's amazing what can be the highlight sometime of a summer. Uh, now, this was very interesting. The simple question was, what makes a teacher great? Adults, how do you think students would answer that? What makes a teacher great? Now, yes, you got it right when you said no homework is given. There were a few that said that. But I have to tell you, I was very surprised at probably 95% gave the same answer. From younger ones up to older ones, the most frequent answer by far, if they are nice. Isn't Christianity beautiful? Every Christian teacher here will be loved by their students because you can't be a Christian and not be nice. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That's what students want. They just want someone to treat them with respect. You remember Jesus, when he was teaching, brought a child in the midst and said, this is the greatest. 
And he said, of such will be the kingdom of heaven. And then he went on to say that if you offend one of these, that you should have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea. What do you think Jesus was saying there? In other words, Jesus was saying, you're dealing with precious resources here. I want you to be nice. Also, what makes a teacher great? One young person said, if they were like my second grade teacher. Another one said, if they're not so bossy. Another one said, when they're really friendly. And you got to hand it to this one right here that said this. What makes a great teacher? By telling her she's pretty. (laughs) Somebody's thinking. (laughs) Somebody's figuring out personalities here. I want to mention to you, and then we'll go into the lesson. I want to mention to you what we hold in the future. We're just a generation away from a lot of great occupations here. When we asked them what they wanted to do, this is the group that said that they wanted to be teachers. Mackenzie Chapel, Amelia Black, Courtney Mann, she wants to teach exactly third grade. Jessica Beckham, uh, Anna Smith. Michaela Welch, Sarah Moore, Kinsey, they all want to be teachers. And then there are several that will have your pets in good hands. These want to be veterinarians. Emma Hines, Julianne, Amber Evans, Annette Law, Grace Cantrell, Evie, Taylor, And now I'll just mention a few of the other randoms. One wants to be a chef. A surgeon. Little Madison Keeby. She's going to be busy in her life. She wants to be a mommy, a doctor, a cowgirl, a police girl, officer. (laughs) But she probably will be able to accomplish all that because she's off with a great foundation in her education. She's enrolled in Mount Juliet Church of Christ Tuesday, Thursday school. Carson wants to be a major league baseball player. Abby Smith wants to be a librarian. Jack Brown wants to be an artist. Shelby Speary wants to paint people's nails or be an actor. Nick Terry, probably getting that in line to feed the other. Uh, Nick Terry wants to be a chef. Shelby Walton wants to be, she'll be busy too, a nurse, a vet, and a teacher. Bryce Fulford wants to be a lockjaw salesman. That's the device his father invented. J.D. Williams wants to be a football player. Jordan Burton wants to be a doctor, a surgeon. Tyler Stanfield wants to be a physician, working, uh, some kind of science. Tyler Brown. I'm not a great reader, and that one's spelled exactly right. I'm not for sure what he was saying. Tyler Brown wants to be a Major League Baseball umpire. Emily Arnold wants to be a violinist. And uh, Reagan wants to be a fashion designer. McKenzie wants to do work for the animal rescue team. Aaron wants to play basketball. Brooke wants to be a gymnastics coach. And just as a sideline, own seven monkeys, seven dogs, and three horses. Jennifer Beckham wants to be an orthodontist. Brady wants to be a baseball player. Sarah Leitner wants to be an inventor. Daniel wants to be a lifeguard and register people at Dick's. McLean Remus wants to be a doctor. 
And Amanda Fuller wants to be a cashier. And just to have a little bit of sympathy, just a little bit of sympathy for all of the teachers. This just kind of lets us know what teachers deal with. Imagine if this student walks into your class on the first day. I'm simply going to read the question and then the answer together. Here's the survey passed out. Imagine if this student walks into your class. I look forward to school because I do not look forward to school. My favorite part of summer was no school. My favorite part of school is 3 p.m. The part of school I like the least, 8 a.m. What makes a teacher a great teacher? No homework. How will school help? None. And so we close with a little sympathy for the teachers, but yet still... You know, the Lord teaches us that out of the mouth of babes, we can learn so much. And the thing that stood out to me out of all of that is the description of what they wanted from a teacher. I want my teacher to be nice. As we continue our lesson from this morning, we continue a challenging study. If you have your Bibles there at 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, you remember in verse 1, he says, We have a ministry. That ministry is given from God. It's by the mercy of God that we have that ministry. And he says there in verse 1, do not lose heart. That's the theme that runs throughout this chapter. We have a ministry that's given to us. Don't lose heart in that ministry. That ministry in verse 5, remember this morning, is to be all about magnifying God and serving others. And then in verse 7 he says, we have a treasure in earthen vessels. And that treasure is the Word of God. It's the, message, it's the message of God that is given to us, of course, from God. It is to be written in our heart, the third chapter, verse 3. But it is to be a message that when we live it out, it shows the excellency of the power of God. I want to challenge our, our students that are going back to school. I want to challenge all of us in our homes and our workplaces. Will we go there tomorrow? Will we live in such a way that our life exemplifies that Christ is living in us and we hold up the excellency of the power of God? As we think about the opportunities God gives us this year to do that, the question is, will we not lose heart? I hope that every young person, I hope every adult here says, I'm committed I'm committed this year to not losing heart. I'm going to live the faith that my God teaches me. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I'm going to live this faith out. That's going to form my convictions. When I say yes, it's going to be yes because that's God's will. When I say no, it's going to be no because that's God's will. And when pressures come, when peers try to sway me, when situations seem difficult, I'm not going to lose heart. As we think about this, I want you to think about that phrase that I said we were going to leave off there this morning and pick it back up. Notice there in verse 9, we'll work through it, it's at the end of verse verse 9. So let's pick up in verse 8 to put it in context. For we are hard pressed on every side. Paul is feeling the pressure, but he says, I'm not crushing, I'm not going to lose heart. He is perplexed, he is confused, but he says, I'm not going to be in despair. And then in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken just because pressure is difficult, because somebody laughs at you, because somebody mocks you. It's not because God has forsaken you. And then finally, he says here at the end of nine, struck down, but not destroyed. This word here, notice how he says persecuted, and then he leads to something that even greater. 
What kind of persecution is this? The term here, struck down, is literally a blow that puts you to the ground. In other words, he's saying, you have a persecution that's so great that it floors you. Struck down. Where are you, Paul? He says, listen, I may even be struck to the ground by Satan, but I am not destroyed. My faith is whole. When I think about this, hold, hold your finger here and go with me, if you will, over to Revelation. I think about Revelation, the third chapter. And you remember the seven churches of Asia? One of the churches of Asia that he spoke to and addressed was Philadelphia. And when we look at Philadelphia, there is a powerful passage in the third chapter where he addresses them in verse 7, that is the church of Philadelphia, and he speaks to them. And I'd like for you to notice what he says to this church, who, by the way, was a good church that had endured a lot of hardship and persecution. And notice what he says in 8. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have little strength. Note that phrase. He's telling Philadelphia, you have little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name. And if you skip down to verse 10, he says, because you have kept my command to persevere. What does he mean when he says, you have little strength? I'd like for you to think about a boxer that comes out and the boxer comes out in the first round and he's dancing on his feet and he's light and both of them are and, and they're using the whole rink and, and when they punch, it's a hard punch and it's very accurate. And then you come to them and you watch them in the fifth round. Now their feet are a little bit heavier. Now they're standing a little bit flatter. And when they punch, it takes a little more effort and their punch may not be quite as hard. We go to the tenth round of the match and you see the sweat has just soaked them. You see that the scars are already starting to show from previous punches that's been hit. You see that they're literally standing completely flat-footed by now. And you see them giving everything they have just for one punch. They're trying their best to avoid the opponent. And sometimes they're so slow now they can't avoid the opponent. You go to them in the 12th round and you see the boxer that's barely standing. And you go up to that boxer and you say, you have little strength. Don't you want to just quit? And that boxer says, no. No, I'm not quitting. But what if the boxer, the, your opponent, what if he strikes you to the floor? And you go up to him while he's on the floor. Take out the boxing rules for just a moment. You go up to him while he's on the floor and you say, do you want to quit? He props himself up on one elbow and he says, look, I may be down, but I'm not destroyed. Do you see the analogy here that Paul is painting? He's painting a picture that says, Satan can bring a lot of harm in my life. Satan can bring a lot of persecution in my life. Satan can bring a lot of hardship in my life. I can be persecuted, but I'm not going to say God has forsaken me. I can be literally struck down and I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm going to lift myself up and I'm going to say, I'm not quitting. I'm not losing heart. I'm not destroyed. How can you have that kind of mentality? Notice that choice of words, mentality. Friends, we don't get into tough situations of persecution and then just happen to stand strong. You got that, young people? Think about this. We don't just walk into times of persecution and then in the moment of persecution say, I'm going to stand strong. It is a mindset. It is a decision before the persecution ever comes. I am going to stand with the Lord. No matter what the temptation is, I'm going to stand with the Lord. No matter what the pressure is, I'm going to stand with the Lord. How do we have that mentality? 
As we go back to our text in 2 Corinthians, we have that mentality when we start to understand verse 10 and verse 11. They both teach exactly the same thing. I'd like for you to notice verse 10. Notice how uh, 9 did not end with a period. He's carrying over this same building thought. The wording is interesting here. Uh, It's challenging. I've got to be honest with you. I've studied this chapter before. But I've never seen this exactly the way it's laid out before. This calls all of us. Young people, this isn't a message just to you. This is a message that's going to challenge everybody here. Because God asks so much out of us in verse 10, 11. Verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You know how we kind of use the expression sometimes, you can't have your cake and eat it too? That's kind of what he's saying here. We can easily get excited about having the life of Jesus, see at the end of that verse, having the life of Jesus manifested in our body. In other words, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what excites you about Christianity? And you talk about the Christian fellowship you have. You talk about that when we enjoy a fellowship of a church family that's united, standing on the truth, holding up the truth. Or you talk about a physical family when a mom and a daddy both are committed Christians and, and the children honor their mother and father and the mother and father respect the children. And you, you see dynamics like that. And that's the positive aspect. And we say, oh, I love to hold up the life of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, time out. All those things you love about the life of Jesus Christ, you can't enjoy those unless you're willing first to carry in your body the death of Jesus. You see that in verse 10? We've got to be willing to carry the death of Jesus before the life of Jesus can be manifested in it. What in the world does he mean by that? I tell you, If you think it's a little bit difficult to understand, it's going to be a lot more difficult to live out. It's a challenge to us. It's a challenge for all of our young people to go into the schools to say, I'm going to go in the first day not only carrying a backpack, I'm going to carry the death of Jesus Christ in my body. I'm going to be willing. Well, notice how he says it in verse 11. In verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death. He's teaching the same thing, just using different words. We're delivered to the death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In verse 10, he says we carry the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus might be manifested. In verse 11, he says it by saying this, we ourselves are delivered to death. FedEx makes delivery. What are they going to deliver? They're going to deliver you. To what? Deliver you to death. Why? So that in your flesh, Jesus Christ can be manifested. What does he mean by carrying the body? Isn't it interesting they chose that selection of words because carry something implies that you also could let it down and stop carrying it. Do you realize that using this language, Jesus carried himself to the cross. John 10 said that no man took his life, that he, John 10 says, gave it. But here, this language would be he carried his life to the cross. When Jesus' back was being scourged open, he could at any time stopped carrying that suffering and just walked away from it. Whenever he was carrying the cross and literally became so weak that he fell beneath it, He could have stopped carrying that burden altogether and walked away from it. The nails did not hold him to that cross. He held himself to that cross saying, I am carrying this burden. You remember in in John, 
He taught us. He was teaching His apostles and the principle same for us. He said, the world hates me. The world will hate you. Get this, let this sink in. He says, the world persecutes me. The world will persecute you. Do I believe that? Jesus prophesied it. It's going to be true. So what's another way that Paul can say, when you say, I want to become a child of God, I want to be baptized in Christ, do you realize that that is, it's like saying, here is a written contract, and on this contract is this question. Will you suffer for Jesus Christ? If so, sign this. God is not asking us if we'll suffer. The point is when we suffer. We will suffer. Do I believe that? I know I don't have time to rehearse this morning's lesson, but do you remember John the Baptist struggled with that? He did all this good for Jesus, and when he got thrown into jail, he's kind of like scratching his head. Wait a minute. (laughs) I don't think I should be suffering like this. Now I'm starting to doubt Jesus. Jesus, are you really the Messiah? How many times do we do that? Oh, I love the Christian life. I love to hold up the life of Jesus Christ. But when the Lord asked me to carry His death, when He asked me to carry suffering, I start saying, surely the Lord doesn't want me to feel like this. Surely the Lord doesn't want me to be discouraged like this. Surely the Lord doesn't want me to have pain inflicted in my life like this. And the Lord says, yes. That's what I've been trying to tell you since the time I came on this earth. They hate me, they'll hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The question is, will you carry it? When other peers are mocking you and laughing at you because of your convictions of faith, will you then conveniently lay down the death of Jesus so that you don't have to suffer with Him? When there's something being asked of you that you really want to do and God says you really shouldn't do that, are you going to conveniently lay down the death of Jesus so you don't have to suffer your self-will? Look with me, if you will, in the book of Galatians. In Galatians, the close of the book in the sixth chapter, he gives an example in verse 12 of some individuals that they didn't want to carry the death of Jesus Christ, so they formed their own kind of religion. And what they did was they seemed to hang on to the things of Christianity that they wouldn't get persecuted about doing. But one of the things in that day and time was that if you were a Christian around Galatia, and you didn't say that someone had to be circumcised, there were literally other Jews that would persecute you for that. And so notice what he says in verse 12. This sixth chapter in verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Here's some individuals that they're willing to carry the death of Jesus. Well, they're not really willing. Because when they started saying, hey, Jesus doesn't require you to be circumcised, there were Jews saying, I tell you what, I'm going to stone you if you keep teaching that. 
I want to throw you in prison if you keep teaching that. And those individuals said, hey, we can lay Jesus down. That's fine. Now we're going to start teaching what you want us to teach. Hey, you have to be circumcised if you're going to become a child of God. You see what Paul's dealing with? Are you going to hold to the Lord and suffer with Him? Or are you going to lay down the suffering and join with someone else? Notice Paul's explanation in verse 17. From now on, let no one trouble me. In other words, I'm not with that hassle. I know where I am. And Paul's saying, you can know where I am too. Paul, what's your proof? For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What does Paul mean by that? Paul said, if you look at my body, you can tell that I'm willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus. As we close this lesson tonight, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11th chapter as we identify what Paul would have had in mind and in body that would make him say, if you see my body, you'll see that I'm willing to carry the death of Jesus. Verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant. Now, you, you know, the word abundant means overflowing. And he says, when it comes to work, I do more than overflowing. In other words, you and I could have walked up to Paul on many occasions and said, Paul, you got bags under your eyes. And he would say, there's just so much work in the kingdom to do. I can't stop. In stripes above measure. How many times have you taken a physical blow because of your faith? Hey, Paul, let me ask you. Paul, how many times have you taken a physical blow because your faith is... You're kidding, right? I, I couldn't count that many. I don't have any idea how many times. What about prison? More frequently. In deaths, how many times did you get close to dying, Paul? Often. 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. You remember the scourging that Jesus received? And sometimes, uh, as we should, we talk about how horrible that scourging was. They were only allowed to give 39 stripes for fear that the individual would die. They didn't want to take his life. They just wanted the individual to, to wish that he were dead. And so the law said you can't give more than 40. So they would minus one to make themselves safe. You remember the bull whip that would have sharp pieces of pottery or stone, sharp stone tied in it. And usually the individual was, would have his hands tied together and loop it over a pole and then have a, another post here coming across his, his waist so that it would pull his back real tight. And then one that was very skilled to bring all the torture but not bring death would take that whip and lash it and it would rip around the, the man's belly and around his back and the pulling back would probably be more painful than the actual coming down. And you imagine 39 lashes with all of that ripped open. And then he continues. And, and so that'd be 195 lashes because that happened to him four times, five times. And then in, in 25, notice three times I was beaten with rods. Can you imagine a stiff rod? Can you imagine the broken ribs? Can you imagine the knots on his legs and in his muscles? Can you imagine how many scars he might have had around his head as not only was it the rods, but also he was stoned. Three times he was in the shipwreck, a night and a day. 
What if last night you were in a shipwreck, you were out spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you grabbed a hold of a piece of driftwood, and you floated all night, and you floated all day, and you were cold, and you were afraid, and you did that all for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he continues talking about the perils that he had in 26 and 27. He says, in weariness. Just times I was plain old worn out and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fasting often and cold and nakedness. I want you to imagine with me. Some of you guys, you're working out at a gym and after the gym, you've worked out with Paul a little bit. You've run some, maybe you've lifted some weights for a little bit. And several of you go back to the locker room and, and, and Paul just pulls off his shirt. And the talk is just going and going and Paul pulls off his shirt and everybody gets quiet. And he looks around and jaws drop. You've never seen so many scars across a man's body. You've never seen so many bruises and knots. And I want you to imagine looking at Paul, a man who says, I will carry the death of Jesus Christ so that I can manifest the life of Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine Paul saying, I will be delivered to death so that Christ's body, Christ's life can be shown in my mortal flesh. I want you to imagine standing at that point, looking at Paul with all of the marks in his body, and I want you to try to explain to him how hard it is to be laughed at. Play that out in your mind. Paul, I know you've never been in a situation I've been in. I actually had some people to, to gossip behind my back. Paul says... You're saying that discouraged you? Paul puts his arm around you and says, you realize that's a part of being a Christian. You signed up for that when you said you wanted to be a Christian. Paul, I had, had some peers that I wouldn't cheat with them and now they won't have anything to do with me. Paul, I had a friend that we were good friends for years and when we got in high school, he or she just started living a different life. And, and, and Paul, I, I had to give up a friendship. I'm not saying these things aren't difficult. I'm just saying that the times that we look at them and, and we make it in our mind's eye sometimes be in the sense that nobody ought to have to go through something like this. The point is this. Others have walked faithfully in the way. And they've written about it. And we have it recorded as a gift of encouragement that says, you can do it. I don't doubt that there's Christians right here. That if it came down to having your back lashed open with 39 stripes or deny the Lord... I believe with all my heart the line would be long out of this group of people. I believe that we have Christians in this room that would give their life in a heartbeat for Jesus Christ. But the point is this. That cannot be the pie in the sky standard. That is the standard. If I say that I want to be a Christian, I am signing up to suffer.
I'm signing up to stand when sometime the only one that will understand why I'm standing is Jesus and me. And the summary is, as we're lifting ourselves off the mat, we're saying to the Lord, I'm not destroyed. I'm not losing heart. Tonight, where are you? Where are you in your faith? Tonight, if you need to renew your faith and simply commit that to stronger strength with the Lord, make that inner commitment. Maybe you've been separated from God and you need to come back to Him and confess sins and pray forgiveness. Maybe you've never come to God to begin with and you want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. I want to remind you of where we started just a few moments ago that long list of schools. Think of the good that can be done when every one of those schools has individuals in them that enter in tomorrow not only with a backpack but carrying the death of the Lord so they can manifest the life of the Lord saying, I will not lose heart. Let's be genuine. Let's be strong. Let's humbly be prayerful, all for God's glory. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.